Good evening. Time for Bedtime Stories with Thompson. That's right. Time for Bedtime Stories with Thompson. We're reading from the Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman. This is Chapter 10 on the Homeward Trail. On August 4, we began our long homeward journey from Fort Laramie. Our route took our route along the Rockies to the Arkansas River took us through a country of burning plains whose only vegetation was a few tufts of short grass, dried and shriveled by the heat. We rode among hills crowned with a dreary growth of pines and over prairies out of which rose snowy Pike's Peak. Huge crickets, black and dark green, signaled our passing, and enormous wingless grasshoppers tumbled at our horses' feet. Countless lizards darted like lightning among the tufts of grass, and large black squirrels leaped among the pine branches. Rattlesnakes, as thick around as a strong man's arm, slithered towards us, and we killed four or five a day. We were not as concerned with the animal life we met as we were with other humans we might meet. When we reached Bent's Fort on the Arkansas River three weeks and 425 miles later, we heard that the trail ahead to the settlements, some 600 miles, was in a dangerous state. Great numbers of hostile Pawnees and Comanches had gathered around some parts of it, but we trusted that kindly good fortune would continue to smile on us as she had thus far. Raymond left us at the fort, and we decided that the three of us would brave the danger as best we could. Before we set out from the fort, however... Four men asked to join our group. Two were members of a party that had just brought in a large band of horses from California. The third was a Missourian who had gone halfway to Oregon and then came back homesick. And the fourth was a soldier who had marched off to fight in the war with Mexico, but who had come down with brain fever on the way to Bent's Fort. He had been left at the fort with the rest of the sick, but was now recovered. We called all four, the California men, and welcomed them as reinforcements. On August 27, we started off from the fort for the settlements. Certainly a more ragged cavalcade never was seen on the banks of the upper Arkansas. In place of the large, fine horses with which we had left the frontier in the spring, we now rode the rough breed of prairie horses, as hardy as mules and almost as ugly. Despite our mules' strength and hardiness, they were already worn down by hard service and were fast becoming footsore. Our saddles and equipment were worn and battered, and our weapons had become dull and rusty. Our dress was shabby, and none looked shabbier than Quincy and I. He wore an old flannel shirt, flying open in front and belted around, while I, lacking anything else, was clothed in a time-worn buckskin suit. But we were as happy and careless as beggars as we crept slowly along the monotonous banks of the Arkansas. A few days later, a long train of Santa Fe wagons came towards us, and a trader with them brought us news. Well, boys, the bad news up ahead is engines. They've been prowling around our camps every night. They raided a large party that left Bent's Fort a couple of weeks before you and killed a Massachusetts feller. His friends had buried him, but when we found his grave, we discovered that the engines had dug him up and scalped him, and the wolves took care of the rest. Oh, I almost forgot. The good news? There's lots of buffalo up ahead. The next day, we met a long train of ox-drawn wagons loaded with government supplies for the troops. Their drivers told us that a large village of Arapahoes was camped farther along the river. They were supposed to be friendly, but there is a difference between a party of 30 men traveling with oxen, which Indians do not value, and our mere handful of men with a tempting band of horses and mules. Late the following afternoon, we saw the Arapaho camp. 
200 lodges stood, stood in a grassy meadow beyond the river, while for a mile around on both banks of the Arkansas were scattered some 1,500 horses and mules. Meeting Arapahoes here on the Arkansas was a very different thing from meeting them in their native mountains, but it was our good fortune to learn that when the army had passed them a few weeks before, the general had warned them that if they touched one hair of a white man's head, he would wipe out their entire nation. This placed them, for the time being, in an excellent frame of mind, and the effect of the general's threat had not yet disappeared. And so, while the others moved on to get as far as possible from our suspicious neighbors before night fell, Quincy, Henry, and I rode across the river to visit the Arapahoe village. To the first Indian we met, Henry explained in sign language that we wanted to see the village and its people. The Indian looked at us with his little snake-like eyes, gathered his buffalo robe about his shoulders, and silently led the way toward the village. The lodges resembled those of the Sioux in everything but cleanliness. Here the ground was strewn with piles of waste buffalo meat. Hundreds of Indians flocked out of their lodges to look at us as we rode towards the chief's lodge. Here we dismounted and sat down before the entrance, holding our horses' ropes in our hands and our rifles across our laps. We were soon shut in by a dense wall of savage faces whose features and complexions, unlike those of the Sioux, were exceedingly bad. The chief, a mean-looking fellow, very tall, thin-faced, and muscular like the rest of his nation, came out and shook our hands. He called to a squaw within the lodge, who soon brought out a wooden bowl of meat, but, surprisingly, no pipe. After tasting the meat as a matter of form, I began to open a bundle of presents. I wished to get one of their shields and offered a large piece of scarlet cloth, some tobacco, and a knife to anybody who would bring me one. The Arapahoes value their shields greatly and pass them on from father to son. A passable shield was brought to me. They wanted to know what we meant to do with it, and Henry made some signs in answer. When the effect was an instant chorus of shouts, obviously in our favor, I asked Henry what he had told them. Why, he replied, I say we are going to use it to fight their enemies, the Pawnees. The effect increased when we gave out more presents. Every face in the greedy crowd grinned, every eye glittered, and long, thin arms eagerly stretched towards us on all sides to receive the gifts. The night after we returned to our camp, we were serenaded by the ferocious howls of hundreds of wolves drawn by the garbage of the Arapahoe village. Thinking of the more dangerous human wolves nearby, each of us spread our buffalo robe on the ground and kept our rifles tightly clasped in our arms. End of chapter 10. Wow, that was a long one, wasn't it? Well, it was pretty good. Well, hanging out with the Arapahoes, man. Yeah, Arapahoes? That's all we have time for tonight. Good night.